When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Another video nasty. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 60 minutes we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. While in addition to that, there are also some off-pit activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and this week we're two up top. That means leading the line around the captain's armband is Matthew. So Matthew, how have you been since we last spoke? Very good. I've been very good. It's a bit of a rarity, but I'm able to talk to you on this fine podcast in a happy mood for once after Volans was out last night. Yes, it is a rarity. We'll get to that later in the show, but I'm glad you're in a good mood. I don't think Max might be in as a good mood after Palace's defeat, but how have you been, mate? Yeah, I'm all good, thanks. All good, thanks. Obviously disappointed to, to see Palace lose on Friday, but otherwise fine, so I can't complain. Good to hear. Right, before we chat all things P-League, let's do the social media bits first. I will be talking to the Abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at DanTracy1983. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at RealFootballPod. And if you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And also, if you like us, leave a review so we move up the league table. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud, Audio Boom, and Spotify. While the easy way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. Right, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? I think we'll go to the seaside first, as Brighton played out an entertaining draw with Liverpool. And Matthew, it's fair to say that technology was not the friend of the champions on Saturday. No, it's good because after all the talk last year about uh, Liverpool and all that sort of stuff, it's good to see that we have at least some form of evidence that, you know, it's not all going in the big in the big clubs' favours. You know, which which was an argument I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't particularly agree with or believe. So the fact that we've got, you know, two very big, you know, high-profile circumstances of. You know Liverpool having stuff taken away from them. it's it's fine. Um, there's there's bound to be arguments, and there has been. I know Jamie Carragher was on it last night. That you know, oh, you know, the millimeters offside. Oh, should it be that? Nah. We've got we've got to a stage where I'm just tired of that argument now. If his knee is offside, then he is offside. If you don't blame VAR for that, you blame the rules for that. So if you have any problems, put it on then. But I think, in all honesty, I think the VAR probably. It usually comes first in the discussion. I think you, um, but uh, Jurgen Klopp uh, sort of trumped that with his with his debate after, which which I think was a bit more enjoyable. And that leads me very nicely on to Max. So I know you requested a Jurgen Klopp comment or two. His comments have led to a lot of interest over the weekend. The floor is yours. Off you go. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thanks very much. We'll see how much um, podcast time we have left by the time I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> But basically, um, what we're seeing with Klopp is 
he what he's doing is lashing out at everyone and everything because he's frustrated his side aren't doing so well. So of course every top manager has a winning mentality and won't like losing. But it's just the latest in a very long line of him being a sore loser and throwing his toys out the pram and saying silly things. Remember when he blamed the wind on a poor result and the length of the grass on the pitch? Imagine the uproar if someone like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did something like that. But anyway, um, so Klopp isn't the only one um, having to go about fixer scheduling. Solskjaer and Frank Lampard also criticise lunchtime kickoffs, but Klopp is kind of the biggest mouthpiece on it. So let's talk about him. So with Klopp, we're seeing, we, we all know the, the savvy, media-friendly Klopp who smiles and jokes and says things like cool and boom a lot and is in a very cliched way called things like a breath of fresh air. But then you also have the duality to him and you see the spiky and frustrated figure we saw on Saturday. So he, he was congratulating the BT interviewer, Des Kelly, on James Milner's injury as if Kelly personally ran on the pitch and snapped Milner's hamstring himself. Also forgetting he personally brought off Neko Williams at halftime for Milner because he wanted Milner's solidity, which shows his priorities, performance over player welfare. Um, Klopp went on to say, until this year is over in this part of the season, we had this slot three times. Look who else had this slot three times. No one. That is false. That is not true. So the fact check is by the end of the year, Everton will have had the Saturday lunchtime slot four times, albeit with no European games in midweek. And United and Liverpool will have three. Um, I wonder if he's going to speak up for his rivals with the same level of anger that he's talking about uh, Liverpool's fixtures. Um, three teams have played on a Saturday at 12.30 after Wednesday Champions League game. Man City, Man United and Liverpool once each. Tottenham have played a Sunday 12 game after Thursday Europa League match, which is a similar turnaround. But he's making it out like it's all a big anti-Liverpool conspiracy and everyone picks on them and it's only them who suffer. Um, but, you know, realistically, if you want to pay players massive wages and demand huge transfer fees for players and continue benefiting from the money that broadcasters bring, which every team does, especially big teams, then you have to accept broadcasters have a say about when matches are played. And I don't normally agree with Garth Crooks, to be honest, but um, he had it bang on the money when he said it would appear the big clubs are no longer satisfied having the best players, the most money and the best resources. They now want adequate recovery time having played in the most financially lucrative European competition so they can return to their domestic leagues fresh enough to give their opposition a damn good hiding. What's more, television companies have paid a king's ransom to broadcast football matches and are perfectly entitled to set game times to suit their audiences. To complain about TV scheduling, having taken the money, is a bit, is a bit like complaining about the five-course meal having just scoffed the lot. If Klopp is genuinely concerned about his players' well-being, don't wait for them to get injured simply manage your resources and rotate your players. You had enough of them at the start of the season. I couldn't agree more. And then going on to talk about Klopp having a go at Chris Wilder. So Klopp famously is, is calling for five subs um, and Wilder is calling for three and they had a bit of a, a war of words in inverted commas. So he's having a go at Chris Wilder saying, oh yeah, well now he has three subs and one point. Firstly, I don't really like his tone. The fact that uh, Wilder's side is currently at the bottom doesn't make his opinion any less valid. <clears throat> and, I'd, and I'd like to see how Klopp would do with Sheffield United's squad, by the way. I think Wilder's doing a much better job than would do a much better job than Klopp would. Um, and also, one team, one vote is how it works in the Premier League. Whether you like it or not, everyone gets a fair and equal say. To say that Sheffield United are self-interested sticking to voting for three subs, well, obviously, because it doesn't benefit anyone other than the top clubs with big budgets and greater squad depth. It's massive self-interest, Klopp voting for five subs. At least Wilder could admit his intentions are to look after his own club, whereas Klopp is just pretending it's for the greater good and, and, and wholly and completely altruistic, just like the big clubs did with Project Big Picture, which is pushing something that would benefit them specifically and dressing up as something to help everyone. Talking about fixture congestion, there is an argument to say that players are overworked. And I don't disagree that players are overworked. And if Klopp wants to genuinely initiate a discussion about reducing player workloads for everyone, then fine. But let's not pretend this is a new problem or one specific to Liverpool. You know, Virgil van Dijk played 50 club games. That's before international games, 50 club games in the last two seasons. So 100 across the last two seasons. Salah's played 52, 52 and 48 in the last three seasons. I could take you through similar figures in their whole squad and, and across the Premier League as well, probably. So obviously this year is different, right? Because you've got a shorter turnaround between the seasons, no pre-season to speak of. 
um, COVID rules, etc. But playing Premiership at the weekend, Europe midweek and Premiership at the weekend again, Premier League, sorry, has been the case for a long time. It's not like it's just been sprung upon him this season. He's just been lucky in previous years that the squad has pulled through. And this year they're struggling more with injuries, as are a lot of teams. And he's lashing out at Sky and BT for Klopp not have, having enough defenders. Then why did you sell Lovren and Klein this summer? Take some responsibility yourself. Um, talking about the VAR in the, in the Brighton game. So there were two goals correctly disallowed for offside. They were both tight decisions, but both correct. And two correct penalty decisions given to Brighton. The second of which was more disputed when Robertson made contact with Welbeck um, at the end. Henderson said, Jordan Henderson said, it's not a penalty. I don't want to speak for anybody else, but in my opinion, I would scrap VAR. I just want to play football as normal. Milner and Robertson also spoke out against it as well. It's funny, isn't it, that they're all piping up now after a couple of calls go against them. And there were correct calls, all of them, by the way. And as a Palace fan, it hurts me to say that there were correct calls for Brighton, but that's just how it is. Um, They seem to forget the blatant Milner offside against West Ham a year or two ago, which resulted in a goal. The handball not given against Trent Alexander-Arnold versus Man City. The handball by Virgil van Dijk before a goal against Wolves. The goal Palace had disallowed against Liverpool for not very much contact at all. And the countless penalties they have had for very minimal contact. Less contact, by the way, than Robertson made on Welbeck when Mane and Salah go down incredibly easily. I don't remember them speaking up then. And then, you know, Klopp saying, oh, we're, all, we're used to armpit offsides against us. Yeah, so is every other side acting like it's only Liverpool. Palace had three offside goals by a, by a fingernail in, in, in three weeks <laughs> um, last month. It's just hypocritical. I don't like it. You know, put on your big boy pants and grow up. Right, and relax. You rest your voice for a few minutes, Max. I'm going to throw some questions to Matthew so we don't forget he's there. But that's a fantastic rant and that's something we can definitely pick the bones out of now. So let's start with... The Chris Wilder comments, Matthew. It's a weird one to sort of point the finger of blame or a point of ire at the Sheffield United manager. Max has sort of said, well, you know, it's all about self-interest. But we've sort of touched on this before, that it's no good asking for five subs if you're not going to even, even going to use three. So surely Klopp's made a rod for his own back here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Klopp has made... A, can I just add that, by the way? Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic effort by, by Max. Absolutely. Fantastic. Giving me about an hour's worth of resting time. Um, but but yeah, I think Klopp has... I, there are some legitimate arguments to what Jürgen Klopp is saying. I think... Um, and I was having this discussion with some Fulham friends of mine that, you know, if you don't want to manage, you know, a big club and deal with... Because you do have the advantage of more money, therefore more quality players, therefore a deeper squad, so on and so forth. I get that. But during these times where there is a, you know, congested fixture schedule where they are having to you know play so on and so forth truncated season all those arguments you can sort of understand where Jurgen Klopp is coming from in regards to need for a bigger squad um again he's probably handling it he could he can and could do better but at the same time he's not like a hundred percent he's not a hundred percent wrong he's maybe like 75 percent wrong is what he's saying there is some truth to it but you do raise an absolute point i think we just we have discussed this with pep guardiola if you want to claim for you know the use of five subs then you know you may as well you know use the three subs that you have at the moment and then use it as an example of look how stretched my squad is you know not every club's you know problems quote unquote are the same you know chris wilder's you know, got to deal with for the best part, you know, and I, I, I'm kind to Sheffield United here, and I do like them, but majority championship-level players, for the majority of their squad, are championship-level. Whereas, you know, and you know, you don't have the, the strength and depth and the quality and depth that Jürgen Klopp has, so he's got to look out for his best, best interests, and Jürgen Klopp's got to look out for his. But at the same time, as, you know, as Max said, everyone's going to vote for what they think makes everything easier for themselves. So it's going to be hard for any sort of change because I can, I can see it being that, you know, if the Premier League were to have a vote next week, say, to say, right after the, you know, come the 1st of January, say for the second half of the season, we're going to introduce five subs. I can imagine because it needs 14 votes to pass. I can imagine there will be enough of the, of the smaller clubs, that we'll just do it mainly, mainly out of a sort of protest out of say, no, you, you big boys, you deal with it. We've got our own, you sort it out yourself. We're not going to give you any sort of helping hand. So yeah, it, it's going to be fascinating to see what the next step in this is going to be. 
But in the long term, I don't think there's going to be any changes just because, you know, as we said, everyone's going to vote for their own interests rather than, rather than the greater interest of the game, if you want to make that point. Well, I'll say with you then, Matthew, is Liverpool's current crisis or whatever label you want to give it, is that just a double-edged sword of trying to be competitive on so many fronts that it's an unfortunate byproduct, yes, but what can we do? Because there's not enough time to reschedule fixtures and stretch it out as we'd all like because there is a European Championship, there's a hard deadline to work towards in, in June, there's no room for manoeuvre. So it's not to say they have to lump it, but what else can we do this season? Yeah, absolutely, because yeah, cause we'll, we'll get the same, you know, we'll get the same complaints when... Oh, the FA Cup draws last night. Who have Liverpool got? I don't Aston think Villa. it's an... Aston Villa. Aston Villa. Oh, sorry. Oh, there was a okay, okay, bad example. But there will be a time when during these things, Spurs have got Marine set. Yes. They'll put out. They'll put out an under eighteen side, and you know Jose Mourinho can come out and say, and I'm just switching the monolith here, but you can use the same example. You know, Jose Mourinho say, you know, I've got, you know, I'm fighting for a title. I'm fighting for Europa League. Are Spurs still in the League Cup? You'll have to tell me yeah, about that. Quarterfinals. Still, yeah, still in the League Cup. So, you know, I've got to compete on four fronts in a truncated season. Something has to give. So if Jurgen Klopp were to do the same, say they get through against Aston Villa and then play, I think I think Cheltenham and Mansfield got through. So the winners of them. And they play an under-18 side against them. Everyone's going to come out and say, oh, what are you doing? You're disrespecting the cup. You play your best players. So it is a, so Jurgen Klopp can't win in any in any sort of situation here because when he will arrest players, he'll be called out for, you know, oh, you, sh- you shouldn't be doing that. You should be playing your stronger side, which is why I get back to what I was saying earlier. He's not 100% wrong in this situation. And Jurgen Klopp won't, you know, I doubt he'll want to go to the, the board and say, I'm just scrapping this competition, lads, because we've got, you know, Let's forget the League Cup. You know, let's let's, let's forget that. We, we we won't care about that this year. He's a, he is a you know serial winner, so to speak. He'll want to win every competition, and to do that, you play your best side when you can. So, some, so something has to give at some point. When it is, we'll just have to wait and find out. Absolutely right. Let's move on, but stay on the south coast now as we move along to Southampton and Max two 0 to the Saints at the interval. Things looking pretty rosy for Ralph and his men. What on earth happened in the second half? I think Manchester United just kind of woke up, really. Um, that's not to say Southampton didn't play well. They did play well. And, um, and you know, they really got in the faces of Man United. They, they had a, a very kind of physical, in-your-face approach, which United didn't, didn't seem to deal with very well. Um, but it's not like Southampton completely passed them off the park. They did play better. You know, they were much better in the first half. But both goals were from set pieces. Um, you know, it's not like they, they were just running rings around them uh, like men against boys or anything and then we just saw United get get back into it obviously Cavani made a massive difference at half time he looks much more Ibrahimovic than Falcao and um, when you think about a comparison with kind of aging um, strikers coming towards the end of their careers he, he he does look the the real deal with his movement and his instinctive kind of finishing and basically Greenwood was pretty ineffective came off at half time and even though the comeback didn't start until on the hour, the 60th minute, um, as soon as you get that goal in the Premier League, you know that the comeback is on. And United have got a bit of a history of it. And Solskjaer might have been maybe overplaying it when he was when he was talking about harking back to the Ferguson days and when United would always come on strong towards the end. Obviously, the late comeback against Bayern in the in the 99 uh, final in, in Europe. Um, but... United do have a habit of doing it. I remember they beat, sorry to mention Palace again, but Palace um, were 2-0 up at Selhurst Park in the second half and United just roared back to win it with a very late goal from Matic, Nemanja Matic, if I remember correctly. And there does seem to be something um, in the in, in the belief of the players at that club that they know that if they carry on pushing, they can get uh, a comeback. And it was it was really good game to watch. Matthew, I asked you the question a few weeks ago, actually, about Cavani, whether he'd be akin to Zlatan or Falcao, you went for Zlatan, and it seems that was the right choice because his two-goal haul certainly proved the difference and his worth at St Mary's. Yeah, absolutely, and you can't imagine him because I know Zlatan Ibrahimovic when he came, he was the main man for a season, and I, um, but I personally can't see Cavani starting that many games for him because I do think that front three of you know like Green, uh, Green Greenford, 
Greenwood. Greenwood. Green, green sorry. <laughs> sorry. Bit of a prime run there. Greenwood, Rashford, and Martial. That's it. You imagine that would be a pretty strong front three for for most parts of the season, with Cavani popping in every every now and again. Um, he he obviously proved his worth because that's you know three points for them. I imagine he'll be doing the same you know later on in the season if it's in a rotational way, like when they play Burnley or. Or Brighton, for instance, you know, when the the quote unquote lesser teams, you can imagine getting some minutes there, and you know that that would that would do his job for him. You know, he he's not he's not been brought in to be a regular starter like a, you know, like a Martial is or was. So yeah, as long as he chips in with every with a couple of goals every now and again, everything's rosy for them. So Max, in terms of United's goalkeeping personnel, David De Gea injured himself trying to keep a goal out. He failed at that and then hurt himself. So. An opportunity has been presented to Dean Henderson. Is this the ideal chance for him to give Solskjaer something of a selection headache between the sticks? Yeah, it is. It is. And I actually thought he was he was pretty good. Um, he was pretty good when he came on. He was very vocal. You know, he didn't seem overawed by the by the occasion. I mean, obviously, he's had Premier League experience. But, you know, playing against uh, playing for, for, for a club of the stature of Manchester United is obviously a little bit different. But I thought he looked he looked pretty at home. Um, between the sticks, and he and he did pretty well. Obviously, the the real test will be what what he can do in the next couple of games. But I think it is a really good chance for him to show um, Solskjaer what he can do. And to be fair to David de Gea, who's been much maligned and much criticised, I think he's actually been pretty good this season. He's made a lot of saves, much better than his performances last season. Maybe he's just responding to having a genuine um, a genuine understudy there who's capable of um, of, of usurping him in the team. And the timing is also quite lucky for Henderson because there were rumblings that he was un- unhappy at Old Trafford and not playing at all. And he was talking about wanting to leave on loan um, in January to get some first team football, which he would do. He, he would start for a lot of other teams in the Premier League or maybe elsewhere in Europe. But now he's got a chance just before the month before the January transfer window to show Solskjaer that he is good enough to start or at least be in contention um, for starting important games for them. So, yeah, it's a really good opportunity for him. Matthew, Bruno Fernandes was once again integral to United's success. And I guess it's no surprise that his purple patch of form recently has been connected to United's recent upward mobility. Yeah, absolutely. I think we, we discussed this as a part of last season, I'm sure, that you know, Man United were missing a certain piece. And Paul Pogba was probably meant to be what Bruno Fernandes is, you know, that main man, creative spark in midfield. So, and, you know, there were some arguments that he could have been player of the season last season, even though he joined January and he's just carrying on that form. Now it does raise the question though. I know Man United are a big club, so they've got a big scout network, but it does raise the question where, you know, how far could they have gone if they'd have brought him earlier on last season, last summer, or more to the point why, you know, Many of the other big clubs around Europe haven't, haven't been able to spot him because he's been an absolute gem and you know could be the driving force for Man United for the next four, five, six going on years. Yes, yeah, a very fair point. But Max, that mobility signifies how fluid the Premier League table is at the moment because it's three wins in a row now. All of a sudden, United find themselves ninth of the game in hand, which if they won that could take them third. Amazingly, the narrative is starting to change. There's still work to be done, but the clouds are starting to shift at Old Trafford. Yeah, very much, very much. It's a really congested table. I'm, I'm just looking at the table now, and um, and and Palace and Arsenal on on 13 points, who are down in uh, 14th and 15th. They're you know five points off the Champions League places, which is which is pretty crazy um, for for a Premier League season. Um, but yeah, United are definitely um, capable of getting of getting up the league. You know, they're only three points off third and they've got a game in hand on everyone above them. They're at ninth. They've got a game in hand on everyone above them. If they win that, they're, you know, they're third, fourth um, and in the Champions League places and sitting pretty. And this whole uh, thing about, and this whole thing about Ollie needing to be sacked is it, that that's shelved for a minute. And it just kind of shows how, how fickle some of the fans are that a couple of losses and people get on their backs. That's not to say that, criticism of them earlier in the season wasn't warranted because they were poor um, but they do seem to be getting things back on track now yeah that's what I said last week that in terms of Premier League positions they are a little bit of a misnomer because it is so fluid that two wins is skyrocketing two losses sorry Max like Palace 15th you know what a fortnight ago they were sitting relatively pretty so it's boom and bust quite quickly now whether this 
cycle keep, keeps going all season or whether it finally stretches out, you don't know. But everyone, to a certain degree, is taking points off each other. So this is why we're seeing it so contracted. So you shouldn't be too alarmed. But, of, of course, people are alarmed. They just see the position and assume the worst. But, Matthew, one more thing about Southampton before we uh, move on. Jan Bednarik, right? He scored three times for Southampton. And each time he scores, Southampton eventually find himself 2 0 up. So he either gets the opener or the 2 0. Can you guess what happens each time afterwards? Um, is it that they lose? Yes, they lose 3 2 in each, in, each, <laughs> in each game. Chelsea, Manchester United, I think it was Wolves is the other one. He, every time he scores, they then go and lose a, a, a two-goal advantage. Incredible. So really, a double-edged sword there if he scores as a Saints fan. You're probably getting worried. More worry for Aston Villa because, Max, I've only seen the three-minute clip from YouTube because I was doing a podcast myself last night. But we've spoken before about Pam, Patrick Bamford's goal being ruled out as the nadir of VAR decisions. Has Ollie Watkins now taken that crown? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is one of the most bizarre... Uh, VAR decisions, VAR assisted decisions. I've I've seen um, since it's come in, and it wasn't just the fact that it was an arm offside, like like Bamford was. It was the fact uh, that w- what was happening around it. Um, and for for any of those who didn't watch it, basically, um, target Villa left back has the ball on the left. He's about to put a cross in. Uh, Ogbonna, West Ham defender, is marking. Ollie Watkins, who's up front, and Watkins makes a run into the penalty area basically to try and get uh, goal side of Ogbonna, his marker, to try and get goal side to get to the cross first. Um, Ogbonna sees this and he wraps both his arms around Watkins in a bear hug. Um, one is kind of around his neck and the other is around his chest, uh, holding him back. Um, and then he realises that he can't carry on doing that, so he kind of half lets him go. Watkins um, goes on to score from the cross. And basically what we're seeing is that Watkins has been punished for staying on his feet. And we all criticise players for going down too easily. And it's not a very nice spectacle seeing players going down and, you know, holding holding their foot as if there's been shot um, whenever there's a foul. But at the same time, you can understand why managers are saying uh, to players to go down because Watkins has been punished for staying on his feet. If you'd have gone down, it's a definite penalty. It's a definite, definite penalty. And and yet, because basically he's trying to escape the clutches of Ogbonna, he's kind of been propelled a bit further forward. And now this, 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 his arm's been offside because of that. I just think it's a joke. It's like with um, the Pickford and Van Dyke decision, right? The, the refs, the, the officials are so desperate to, to see whether Van Dyke was offside or not. They don't see the bigger picture, which is that Pickford has gone in knee-high on Van Dyke and that it's a red card. So they got the off, offside decision. Um, they looked at that, but they didn't look at the bigger picture of the actual Pickford tackle on Van Dyke. Similarly with this, they looked at the offside on Ollie Watkins. And you can debate forever and ever whether it's, off, you know, whether it's offside or not, whether it should be offside with the arm and anything like that. But they're missing the bigger picture was that he was being fouled by Ogbonna and he was only in front of Ogbonna, his arms in front of Ogbonna, because Ogbonna was holding him in, in, a, in, a, in a bear hug. And it, was, it's, it should definitely have been a foul. And I'm I'm just I'm just so annoyed for Aston Villa, and maybe that 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 annoyance is kind of tempered by the fact I had Ollie Watkins in my in my fantasy team, and it's entirely possible Villa would have missed the penalty anyway. But you've you've got to get decisions like that right, and I, I really really can't see how how a Premier League official could watch that and and think, oh right, well, yeah, we need to check the offside, but it not occur to them seemingly that Watkins was being fouled. I'm I'm just baffled. So, Matthew, is the law a bit of an ass in this situation? Because, really, there should be some form of infringement. And to escape that infringement and then be given offside, it's like two wrongs making it even more wrong. So, what on earth is going on here? I don't know. I, th- I think we've discussed this previously. The <laughs> VAR itself is not the problem. It's the, the official sort of um, in charge of it that are the problem. It's the, it's the human side of it. Um, I'm, I'm not 100% sure sort of what, what to make of this situation because, again... And this is something that has been brought up many times before. If we knew what the what the officials were saying to each other, we may get a more of an understanding of why they're making the decisions they are. You know, for all we know, they may have been checking the foul and say, "Oh, it's not, it's not a foul in my mind." For all, for all we know, it might. So we're just going to check. We're just going to check, check the offside thing. Here. It's so. I think that's just another step that we're just going to have to, you know, grin and bear 
until we until we can you know get a get a solution to all this. Matthew, I'll stay with you because I don't even know what to suggest anymore in terms of rules and laws and all that. But I'll ask anyway: Is hands slash elbows the real issue here? Should we be using feet as the genuine marker for offside? We probably should, but and I think this was I think this was brought up when Arsene Wenger was preparing his new offside rule back in like February or January or whenever it was, which seems like five years ago now. Um, but basically, no, I think his argument was then that so long as one bit of you is onside, then you're onside. Sort of thing. All you're really doing then is it's just moving the line. That's all it is. Um, and you're still going to get like Mo Salah was, I think, I think his was his kneecap offside or something like that for the Brighton, for, you know, against Brighton. So you'll still get those minimal decisions either way. It just, you know, it may reduce, you know, like you know, maybe one a weekend. You know, if that where you get where you get an armpit offside, you're still going to get the same amount of controversy. So I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference. Max, it was another three points for West Ham. I don't know about you, but I looked at the Premier League table this morning and I thought, where on earth have West Ham come from? They're fifth. Yeah, I know, I know. It's uh, it's, it's a bit surprising, especially considering um, the, the horrendous run of fixtures that they've had. But they've kind of quietly gone under the radar. And it is maybe a, a bit of a a false position, as you say. Well, not a false position, but it's, it's maybe a little bit misleading based on how close the table is because... You know, theoretically, West Ham could have lost and been somewhere like 12th. I don't know. Um, but they have done they have done really well. And considering they were without Mikhail Antonio, who's, you know, their talisman up front and, and involved in a lot of their goals, um, I think they've done really well. They've done really well. I've spoken about it before on the pod. But, yeah, Moy seems to have instilled a very strong mentality in them. And, and yeah, they scored at really good times yesterday and beat a, a pretty strong Aston Villa team. Um, so, yeah, fair play to them. They're, they're doing well. As for Villa, Matthew, they do seem to be regressing to the mean somewhat. Four defeats in six for Dean Smith's men. I think the big concern, though, might be Jack Grealish's audacious tumble to the floor last night. Should he be facing some additional censure for that? Uh, he probably should, because... Uh, I'll, I'll admit I, I didn't watch the game because I was too busy uh, lording over the fact <laughs> that Fulham managed to win three games. So I was I was busy doing other things. But I've seen I've seen the clip and I know what you're talking about. It will have to be one of those. You know, did the referee see the incident at the time? This this does raise a thing. You know, in the grand scheme of things, in what in what Jack Jack Grealish did, was it that egregious as opposed to like diving to win a penalty in the 90th minute? No, it probably wasn't. But maybe a warning or maybe, I've no idea if the FA can give out like fines for that sort of situation. A warning or a fine, but I don't think a suspension would be, I don't think a suspension would be warranted in that sort of situation. That would probably be taking it a bit too far. But Jack Grealish does need some sort of message just to say, oi, cut this out. Righto, let's stay on Monday night now because, Max, Leicester blew their chance to go joint top of the table. Now, they had early chances, but they certainly didn't make that dominance pay, did they? No, no, they didn't. They didn't. I was a little bit surprised, to be honest, and with no disrespect or uh, deliberate kind of patronising of Fulham, but Fulham are one of the weaker sides in the Premier League defensively. And so I was very, very surprised to see Leicester line up with, essentially five defenders and five centre mids and Vardy outfield. Um, you think that would be the perfect game to play Barnes, Harvey Barnes and potentially uh, Cengiz Under, the, the the wing on loan from Roma. Um, and, you know, they're both quite pacey and direct and skillful. But he, he played Pryor and Madison, who are both central, you know, attacking-ish, but central midfielders. And then two defensive midfielders and and then... And, and then a five-man defence. I, I was just a bit, I was just a bit surprised, really. Um, and that that um, that didn't work for them. And then obviously they brought on Barnes and Under. I think both at half time, and they suddenly looked way more direct and way more threatening. And they didn't score until the very end of the game. But they they looked much more likely to break through than when they had um, than when they had their, their their oddly defensive team out from the start of the game. But um, with that said. Uh, credit to Fulham because they were very, very good defensively. Players like Bobby Reed, who, you know, at five foot seven, kind of strikes me as a a bit of a a bit of a spindly attacking midfielder, not necessarily someone who can contribute that well uh, to defensive play. But he he was really good. Caballero was good. Loftus Cheek was good. They were really pressing from the front. They were really making it difficult for Leicester. 
So I wouldn't say it was just Leicester firing blanks. I'd also say um, Fulham really, really stepped up their defensive game and it was a deserved victory. Come then, Matthew, let's enjoy it. A fantastic, if not shock win, it must be said. But, you know, Anguisa's engine-busting run for the opener, plays it on a plate for Lookman. Is that goal the redemption that he'll be searching for after that penalty miss? I think it does. I think it does serve as the redemption. And by the way, Max, no offence taken by us being one of the weaker defensive sides in the, in the division. You are talking absolute 100% facts there, so, do, so don't worry about that. Um, but yeah, I did say after the whole Lookman incident at West Ham that we needed we needed him to score you know, the winner or a last-minute equaliser in a game that we weren't expected to win. This is just the, the opener in a 2-1. You know what? I'll take it like that. And... You know, talk about Anguisa, who's been arguably one of our better players, you know, this season, and he's sort of, sort of overshadowed by the terror, the terror that was the hundred million pound team last time we were in the division. But I've been saying, I've been saying for a while that the one thing I need from him is an end product. He does a lot of work, you know, you know moving the ball from box to box. But getting on the score sheet or getting that that vital assist is the one thing that's been been missing from his game, and that last night showed just what a player he can be on the counter attack, moving the ball moving the ball up the pitch and laying on a great assist for Lookman. It was absolutely fantastic. And then um, you're going to ask me about the penalty, aren't you, Nick? So by all means, carry on. Yeah, well, that's it. The floor's yours about the penalty. A lot more assured this time around, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was a weird one because. A lot of talk going into it was, you know, what's the what's the plan going to be for the next penalty? Because do you, you know, because there's been the argument, I, I can't remember who it was, it was someone on TalkSport said, who's going to be the next player to take it? Is it going to be the goalkeeper? Because he's going to work your way through the team until someone scores. So it was a bit of an odd one to see that the man who last missed it, Ivan Caviero, was given, was given, the, was given the call again. Um it was strange because I, I applaud Scott Parker for keeping faith. That was the one thing I said that he should do is pick a man and stick with him. But it was just weird that it was he was the one that you know the, the got the got picked to take it. Um, obviously glad he did. A lot more confident than than the last penalty he took. And yeah, the the penalty the penalty drought is over. I just look forward to the next one because I know it's coming around the corner. It does say a lot, actually, that you're getting penalties. I guess you're getting into situations. Yes, they might be aided by VAR. You know chances you may have had last season but you know you are getting into those positions in the first place yes you're not actually taking all of them but that must be some um, comfort I guess if nothing else but also Matthew that win that opening goal was the perfect tribute to Papa Booba Diop is there a quick tribute you'd like to say about his time at Fulham yeah, absolutely. Booba Diop in that in that squad wasn't you know this wasn't the star man. He wasn't the entertaining uh, man down the wing like Louis Beaumorte. He wasn't a star name like Edwin Van der Sar. He wasn't you know in the goals much like you know Andy Cole, Helgeson, and McBride. He was just a very very efficient and. He was he was a he was a decent player. I'm not going to dress it up that he was this great savior or anything. He was a decent player, but he worked hard every single week. And for this, you know, in the in my early days, he was my favorite player just because I loved the physical presence that he brought. I, uh, he was good good in the air. He could absolutely hit screamers from outside the box. He was he was just a joy. He was just a joy to watch. You know, just on a on, a, on an emotional level, he wasn't and he wasn't entertaining, but he. It was it was just a, it was just a joy to watch someone with that sort of physicality. I've always been a fan of the physical side of the game, and he was just he was just he was just good at it. Even he wasn't a star man, but he was an effective man, and that's all you could really ask for us at that time. Top man, great words, Matthew. So let's move on now because that win takes Fulham out of the bottom three. And Max West Brom won the battle of the teams looking for their first league win. It may not have been pretty. I mean, eight pm on a Saturday night. Who scheduled that one? But ultimately, Slavin Bilic won't care all that much, will he? Not at all. And to be honest, West Brom have been, and Fulham, because at the start of the season, they, they both lost a lot of games and people wrote them off very quickly. You know, they're no hopers, they're already down, whatever. Both Fulham and West Brom have made, uh, have really improved in the last couple of weeks. West Brom were unlucky to lose to, uh, to, lose to Manchester United the other week. Um, Fulham have been a little bit unlucky in, in some of their games. Against Palace, for example, they had a lot of chances and hit the post twice. And Palace were just a little bit more more clinical, for example. Um, and so, and so, I, I don't think it's 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 um, fair for for people to have written them off so quickly because West Brom clearly have got a bit of grit and a bit of determination 
to, to get over the line against a Sheffield United side who are experienced in the Premier League. Obviously, they're not going through a very good run. But I thought West Brom played played really well. They played the game they needed to play, as did Fulham against Leicester. And if both teams can show that kind of level of grit and desire for the rest of the season, it's not at all a foregone conclusion that they're going to go down. Um, I also really, really liked Conor, Gallagher, uh, Conor Gallagher's performance. The, the midfielder on loan from Chelsea Palace almost signed him, actually. But then um, we, we got Batshuayi on loan. And you can only have one Premier League player um, for, for, from one club um, on loan. And so... He, he's, he's a really good player. He's done well for them. He's doing a lot of work in that team. And it was a really, really nice finish from him. And I, to be honest, I think it's, it's better. It's, it makes a more competitive league if the teams down the bottom are capable of, of springing a result and there aren't just kind of two teams who are, who are rubbish and, and who, are, who are basically down by Christmas. I think it makes it much more of an exciting spectacle when there are when there are teams like Fulham and West Brom who've just been promoted, who are putting up a real fight against experienced Premier League teams and getting the odd result. Matthew, looking at that game, I think Sheffield United's attacking endeavour for the season might be summed up by Lise Mousset's shank over the bar in the dying second. So a miss that could prove rather costly if Chris Wilder cannot summon something positive soon. Yeah, I think that's just a you know a microcosm of what's been a problem for Sheffield United, not just this season, but going into last season. I've made the point many times of how few goals they scored thirty, you know, thirty nine across a thirty eight game season. You, you can't you can't sustain that for long, especially when you're shipping goals at the other end. So Chris Wilder has got to sort something out fast. You know whether or not it's trying different combinations of forwards or different formations entirely, or you know, maybe maybe gets drastic. I know Musse, he's not a new signing. He was there last season. Maybe it's just a case of, you know, one in, one out, sell him. Let's try and get someone more effective. Because that, that performance, and it wasn't, it, Musse was, was a bad miss, but the rest of the team's performance as well just showed them that they are not going to, the current side is not going to score enough goals to keep them up. So they've got to get something, they've got to get something sharp, sharpish, whether or not it's within the side or if they've got to buy someone. Well, Max, they would hope it's within the side because they bought Ryan Brewster in the summer. Big money, considering what he's done in the past. No goal in 294 minutes. If we look at his starts, it's only three. It's a move which isn't, well, not a bust, but it's in danger of not quite working out already, is it? Uh, potentially. I mean, he hasn't hit the ground completely running, but but then he's, only, he's never played in the Premier League before, um, I believe, for Liverpool. He, he only had that kind of half season in the Championship. And yeah, he did well in the Championship, but... He was in a league where you get a lot more, um, a bit more time on the ball. It's obviously a lower level than the Premier League. And he was playing in a team which gave him a lot of balls to feet. Um, a really nice passing side where he got lots of chances at Swansea. Um, and he's, yeah, he's found it a little bit difficult. But um, let's maybe temper that the fact he hasn't scored yet with, with the fact he's been in a pretty poor side. And he's feeding off scraps. He doesn't get a lot of chances. Um, a lot of his appearances have kind of been off the bench. They've played a lot of decent teams as well. Um, they have signed him for the future. And and so it, the fact he hasn't scored in his first five or six games or whatever, um, I don't I don't particularly have a problem with. I think, you know, it'd be a, a shame to write off someone who's a talented kid. Um, who, he's very early in his Premier League career. And um, obviously, there are other examples of players leaving Liverpool and not working out so well, such as Dominic Solanke. But, you know, as, as I've said before, striker is a very, it's a very confidence position. It's a very confidence dependent position. And we saw actually Solanke in the Premier League, once he got a run of games and scored a couple, his confidence got up and he looked much more threatening. Um, and there is definitely a player there with Brewster. Have they overpaid? you know, I think it was more than 20 million, between 20 and 25 million, potentially, given that he's a young kid. But then if he achieves his potential, he could easily be worth that, um, you know, if he scores, for example, 10 goals this season and, and keeps them up. Um, it is early, and so let's, um, let's, let's give him a bit of time to, to adapt to the league. I don't think he's, he's already uh, a bus signing. A fair point. I guess the only thing you could also say is that Sheffield United don't really have the luxury of bedding in or the future. They need it last week don't they really but there's still time for him to come good so let's not write him off just yet let's go to Sunday now and Arsenal versus Wolves so Matthew result aside 
you really hope Raul Jimenez plays a game because that, even the noise I think about now in my head and it's just oh, sickening. Like You see what happened to Ryan Mason a few years back and you're hoping we don't have a similar situation. Yeah, abs- you know, absolutely. Thoughts and prayers out to Raul Jim- yeah. Jimenez dur- during all this. It, it is... I, it really doesn't. It really doesn't bear thinking about. You know, there have been some of these instances before. I, you know, you mentioned Brian Mason, who basically didn't come back from his career after this. But there is some hope because Petr Cech, as I think, went through went through a similar thing, and he managed he managed to come back. Okay, even if you know it's a different position, he's probably not using his head as much, and so he managed to wear a, wear a scrum cap to to keep his way through it. But you do hope that this is something that Jimenez can come back from because you, you think of the Wolves side and how entertaining they've been with the likes of with the likes of Ruben Neves with the likes of you know Matinho and Den Donker and Jaira you know Jimenez has arguably been the catalyst and the main man and one of and certainly one of the more enjoyable players to watch through all this so you so you you hope he you hope he comes back you know I I have no idea if they've even set a time frame for it if it's you know, well, six months, which I think per check if it's a year, however long, however long it takes, I just hope he comes back because he's because he's a great player to watch. Absolutely, I mean, it's very hard to put a time scale or something like this. You just don't know, do you? And I think just him getting to the pitch would be a success story. But there's always the fear that would he be the same player, especially someone who has to be such an aerial threat. So, like you said, Matthew, prayers and everything, keeping everything crossed for him because it's such an awful injury and something that no player deserves. So, um, so yes, moving on to the Arsenal element of this though, Max, because David Luiz was allowed to continue up until the interval. So even though blood was pouring out of the bandage, visible to all, do you reckon he should have been hooked earlier or at least taken to the sidelines and attempted to stem that blood flow once more? There is absolutely no question in my mind about this. I am <clears throat> I'm completely stunned that there is not a rule in the Premier League that you have to that you have to go off when things like this happen. Um, normally, uh, the, the head injuries aside, normally referees are very very hot on stemming the flow of bleeding um, if a player is still bleeding from from anywhere on his body, let alone the head. And so I'm 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 so surprised he he came back on. Arsenal say they followed the protocols. We don't know what happened. Obviously, we kind of have to take them their word a little bit. But if they did follow the protocols to the letter, then clearly the protocols are not strict enough because head injuries are a hugely, hugely damaging um, legacy that, that that football players have to deal with. We, we've heard all this talk about dementia. You know, Nobby Styles, Bobby Charlton, Tony Cascarino, Gary Lineker. They've all come out and, and have been talking about the effect that heading footballs have had. And obviously, it was a sickening... Um, you know, high level, high damage collision between Luis and Jimenez. And I'm just astounded that he was allowed to to go back out there again. It is such an easy win for the Premier League to say, no, um, go off, permanent sub, like that's it, you're not coming back on. And and the fact that idiots like Troy Deeney were saying, oh, you need to leave it in the hands of the players. Are you having a laugh? Are you honestly joking? It's such a dangerous and stupid thing to say that it is in that it should be in the hands of players to decide whether they want to come back on. Of course, players want to come back on. You know, you see it in rugby as well. People pretending they're not injured because they're because they're desperate to come back on. It must be taken out of the hands of the players. And to be honest, I think it should be taken out of the hands of the teams. I think there should be a neutral Premier League official. So that there's absolutely no question that the club might just kind of want to rush them back on um, to benefit their team. There should be a neutral official who says, no, you're, you're not coming back on. That's it. Make the sub. And even if there's a rule that if you've already made your three changes, you're allowed to replace someone who gets a head injury to prevent you know, the, the team being a man down, then fine, then do that. But it is an absolute joke that Louise was allowed to come back on. He obviously was dizzy and you know, probably didn't know where he was and blood was pouring out of his head. I'm just, I'm just amazed. I'm just amazed that he was allowed to go back on. Right, Matthew, we need to go to Goodison Park now and we need to talk kazoo because I tried to counteract the power of the kazoo by not only putting Calvert-Lewin in my team, well, I left him in my team, but I made him captain. A part sort of experiment, part bit of science, I thought, hmm, is this kazoo really as good as it says it is? Well, boy, was that a lesson learned. I think we've truly underestimated the power of this instrument. I know it's fascinating. When I said this beforehand, it's gone beyond. It's gone beyond the joke now. It's gone beyond the joke. It's actually working. I know because I said it because I wanted. I wanted Leeds to win because I because I quite liked them. So I so I held off. But for them to then actually go and 
go and actually have an effect. My work, it is beyond it is beyond the joke now. So I I'm so I'm quite hesitant. I have it in my hand, and I'm trying to work out what the um what the next course of action is because I don't play fantasy football. So for your team, I honestly don't care. No, um, and my team and my team okay. don't forget. Please, for, please for do this. Oh, if there's, right. oh, there's there's two of you. Is that oh, I pro I probably should like yes. wait for a third approval to see what Carl if Carl has him in his team, but. Mm, you know what? It's Burnley. I reckon he. I reckon he probably doesn't need it. But what the heck? Yes, there, there go. we go. Come on, Max. There we go. Goals, but of course he didn't score at the weekend. Leeds did. So a boatload of chances for either team. I think it was what thirty-eight combined, maybe even thirty-nine. I can't remember the exact figure. Lots. Rafinha got his second start of the season. Trust is obviously there for Marcelo Bielsa. Trust repaid by getting the winning goal of the game. Were Leeds worthy winners? Oh, sorry, sorry. Um... Yeah, sorry, I, I didn't know who you were talking to. Yes, uh, I think they were worthy winners. You know, they they showed a lot of really bright attacking play. Um, they had a lot of chances. I think, well, Jack Harrison hit the post and, they, and um, Pickford made a couple of really good saves. I think when we criticise Pickford for his mistakes, we also have, have, to, have to praise him for his saves. And he made a couple of really nice saves. I think one from a Rafinha header. Um, and I can't remember what the other one was. Um, they had one cleared off the line really well by Ben Godfrey. Um, but they they really showed their, their their pedigree leads, and you know they are a really good team to watch. Rafinha is a good footballer. He's 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 settled into the Premier League nicely. It's really good for him to get his first goal, and I think they were worthy winners. But there are defensive problems. I, I won't say woes. There are problems uh, for Carlo Ancelotti to sort. Obviously, uh, Luca Dina is out long term, and. And Coleman is out currently. I don't know how long for, but not as long as Dino, who's going to be out for a couple of months. But there are issues there. And, you know, he re- resorting to playing Iwobi and Tom Davis as wing backs and a, and a, and a three man central defence. He needs to work something out. Max, I'll stay with you. What do you make of this stat that Leeds have strayed offside the most times in the Premier League this season? 21 times. Do you think that's a, a consequence, shall we say, of their overload tactic? Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. I think they, I think it, it probably is a consequence because they throw so many bodies forward. They're really used to running in behind and, and creating and creating angles of attack, which uh, Pep Guardiola is an expert at. And obviously, he Guardiola is a, is an acolyte of of Bielsa. He's very highly influenced by Bielsa. So I suppose it it, it must do. It'd be really interesting to see um, kind of which players do it. Would it be like the fullbacks? Would it be like Ailing and Alioski and Dallas? Would it be the forwards? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd really like to look into that. OK, it's so the quick fire round now. Three matches left to go. I'll take Chelsea Spurs, obviously, because I'm a Spurs fan. Very, very quickly, um, a board draw. Not to be unexpected. I wouldn't go as far as parking the bus for Mourinho and all that. But if someone offered me the draw at the start of the week, yes, you'd take it. Four points from six out of City and Chelsea. Brilliant. I wouldn't say bring on Arsenal because then you've got the form book going out the window and all that. And I've been mindful not to give them a shooing in this episode because I don't want egg on my face next week. But Spurs top... No complaints. Chelsea will be a little bit frustrated that they couldn't put us to the sword. I think their chances were more, but a bit bitty, if you know what I mean. Like Abraham not quite in the right positions all the time. Werner had one chalked off. But I think on the balance of play, a draw is fair. Certainly wasn't a draw at the Etihad though, Matthew. Man City put five past Burnley. Is that the thrashing that Pep's men have been waiting to dish out? Yeah, probably. You know, we've been ta- we've been talking all through this all through the season about whether or not, man, you know, if the dynasty or whatever is is coming to an end, and Pep Guardiola needs to sort something out. That would have been a game where I don't, you know, similar similar to um, you know, when Alex Ferguson said said it when he was when Man United were half down to Spurs, you know, lads, it's Spurs. I imagine that that could have been something that Pep Guardiola would have said to him, lads. It's Burnley, you know. Just let's let's just put all this talk to bed and just say, right, we can still, when we want to, absolutely demolish a team. And they and they went and did that. You know, Mares hasn't exactly been the biggest of names, or you know, hasn't caught a lot of attention this season. To then go and score a hat trick, you know, just says, you know, we we have the strength and depth that you know. If it's not De Bruyne, if it's not Foden, if it's not Sterling, if it's not Aguero, if it's not Jesus, we have any any number of about 10 different people can tear you apart on a day. And it was just Mahrez's turn that day. Yeah, Burnley must hate playing Man City because I think that's the, was it fourth occasion that they've been uh, shipped five? And also for Burnley, it's their stuffing being knocked out after getting their first win. Of course, that result's not going to define their season. But if this puts them in another long tail spin where they lose, you know, six in a row or, you know, go without a win in six, then you think, hang on, this could be a real bad season for Burnley. So it's how they get out of this one, which is going to propel them for December. 
Now, Max, it was looking like a board draw on Friday night, and then it all fell apart at the very, very end. So how much of a concern will that capitulation be for you and the manager alike? I, I was so, so frustrated um, after watching that game um, because I'm not going to say no disrespect to Newcastle because I was I was so frustrated with, with the, the kind of way they played. I mean, obviously, it seems like Newcastle will... will, will try and frustrate you and sit back and and kind of make fouls and that kind of thing and I'm not going to pretend that Palace don't do that when they go away um it's just teams in the bottom half like Palace and Newcastle will tend to do that when they go away from home and it's it's Palace's responsibility to break teams like that down when they when when teams like that come to, come to Selhurst and and sit back um and and try and, and try and go on the counter um we played a bit more of an attacking formation although we did play Jeffrey Schlapp up front, which is a bit of a weird decision with um, Bashwai and Benteke on the bench. I was also um, not very pleasantly surprised to see Joe Riedeveld dropped. I thought he's been really good recently, um, but it was it was just a really a really drab, dour game. I pity anyone who had to watch it. Um, obviously, Newcastle got got the goals at the end um, on the break, and it just kind of shows you how weak Palace are at the back that Joel Linton scored. I mean, it was by deflection, which is kind of classic, classic Joel Linton. He, he couldn't even get, get the get the shot where he wanted it. Just kind of went off Cahill's heel and went in. But it's hugely frustrating. And, you know, earlier in the season, I was talking about being really positive at Palace and saying, well, we can finally start looking upwards. Um, I don't want to be too um, reactionary and say, well, after two defeats, it's, it's all over again and it's all doom and gloom. But the manner of the defeats against Burnley and Newcastle, who are two poor teams basically um you know we we should have scored a couple but that said we didn't really create enough and it's pretty negative football and when we get results with kind of safety first football it you can you can excuse it a little bit but we're playing safety first football against Newcastle and Burnley and and we've lost both of them and now we've got a run of trickier games coming up and we could really struggle to to get ourselves through it. Um, and it, it's just not very nice to be watching football at the moment. Obviously, part of that is not being able to to, to be in the ground, um, the lack of fans, the lack of atmosphere. Um, we were watching it on Amazon Prime, which was absolutely terrible quality. Um, and my mates were, were watching it and they were they were texting me. Um, they were texting me two or three minutes um, about Wilson's goal before I'd seen it on my stream, which just shows how far behind I was um and it's it's yeah it was it was very frustrating on on all counts um and to be honest the way it's going <laughs> I know I know I was talking quite positively earlier in the season the way it's going I think Palace Palace should be a little bit pessimistic about where things where things are at the moment it was pretty it was pretty dire to watch well if we take the same logic with the league table that it's so fluid there is a positive that if you win the next two then you're right back in the mix again and you've got a lot, yeah, of, dis- very lot of distance. Very. However, if you lose to West Brom, all of a sudden that bottom four and five gets more contracted. You're getting pulled in. So you've got to be looking over your shoulder a little bit. So you say about yeah. tough fixtures coming up, that's arguably the sort of the, the immediate toughness because if you lose that, then it's sort of, oh, hang on, we're sort of in the mix. So that's going to either give you distance or create an interesting December. Matthew, very, very quickly, Max has made a very good point about Amazon Prime that obviously we're streaming matches because you're not watching it in real time, is that a bit of a bit of a pain? And also, is that a bit of an annoying future? You've got about two minutes. Can you answer that? Um, I can. I reckon that this is their this is only what their second year trying to do this. Yeah. There will there will be a way there will be a way of sorting this out in the future. I'm sure, even if Amazon and Twitter together or whatever, you know, just because I know you can put like embargoes on things. So if they if people can like put in mind to say, you know, after the goal scored, wait like, you know, 60 seconds before you tweet anything. I'm sure there will come a distance. There will come a time where it's come to that. Failing that, I'm sure technology will get to a stage where where everything will be, where it will be like as, as you know, as simultaneous as you were if you're watching a game on Sky or BT. These these things will get worked out. Just just give them a little bit of time. Yeah, basically, it's just the testing phase. We're all just product testing, aren't we? And it's all handing feedback. So it's not perfect, but we'd like to think it will get there. Right, we are running out of time. Cole was going to give some words on Diego Maradona, but obviously Cole's not here this week, so I'm going to leave that till the start of next week's show so we don't forget. But, Cole, if you are listening, hope all is well, and you'll be back in the fold next week. Of course, I need to do the admin, which is thanking my two great guests 
this week for some fantastic work. Max, take a bow, my good friend. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thanks very much. See you next week. No problem. And of course, Matthew, I can't forget your sterling efforts either, mate. Yep, no worries. Thanks very much. And again, shout out to Max for his fantastic, fantastic rant. I hope to get more, more of them in the future. <laughs> yes, absolutely. They're worth, worth the money themselves. So, with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. And until next time, goodbye. Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.